Welcome to the Meltzone Podcast. This is episode 57. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And on today's episode, we are... What did we start? Ah, yeah. We, we started talking about Tom's uh, new, well, workspace shop that he is currently uh, pu putting an office space in there and will move his studio to soon, which is really interesting. And I kind of envy him for that. Then we talk about a recent topic that came up with uh, Tom's review of the Form 3 Plus and my Mechanica Evo CNC router. And this was the question, if we should even review Pro Tools, because we got kind of a lot of negative feedback on the machines because they were too expensive from a maker perspective. Um, yeah. Speaking about professional or semi-professional machines, uh, Tom was recently asked to do a review on a Markforged 3D printer, which he already did a couple of years ago. So probably he rejected. Um, but staying on the topic of Markforged, uh, in the past, they, well, were very popular for their uh, nylon materials, carbon fiber nylon materials. But they started introducing PLA on their machines, which is really expensive. So uh, what could be the reason for that is something that we are going to discuss. Yeah, by the way, if, if you if you guys would like me to revisit uh, the Mark Forge machines, um, leave a comment below on YouTube where you tweeted us. Um, yeah, Stefan shares a success story with his macro photography setup um, where he shared, shared some really amazing pictures on Twitter and Instagram. So check those out there after you watch this episode. Um, and he shares a failure story about his uh, volcano nozzles. And, you know, we, we, we get into how you can even test a product for all the different things that users are going to do to them. Um, speaking of users... Quindly Vision has released their 3D printle that they're calling a Wordle for 3D printing users. And we get into the weeds of uh, machine learning AI, how you can sneakily generate training data for that. And finally, a question from you guys um, about thermistors versus thermocouples versus resistive temperature sensors and why we're still using thermistors when they're not that great of a choice. Maybe, but maybe they are. You got a new place? I for not living but working. I did well. New new workplace. Are <laughs> people excited about that? Yeah, I got a. I got I finally got a proper studio space. I've, I've been dreaming of this for for so long, um, and this is it. I I almost missed it. It was just like a, a Google, not Google, um, eBay classifieds, Kleinanzeigen um, ad where it was like, ah, here I'm I'm renting out this warehouse space, hundred square meters, eleven hundred square feet. A foot. Uh, it's got like a semi-floor, floor heating. Yeah, and I was like, okay, well, this can't be that bad. And it's right around the corner. So let's have a look. And it was the perfect, it was literally the perfect place. It is nice and insulated. It's the the the, the right amount of space. It's got extra storage space up ahead, uh, above, above head. It's got an extra floor that you can store stuff on. I've, I've already built um, an office in there. And that office is also going to serve as my studio backdrop. And basically, I've got a like a six and a half by six and a half square, meter square. Um, that's going to be studio space. That's going to have like two or three sets. I'm, 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 I've I got everything plotted out of my head already. Uh, right now, it's just it's just um, it's a construction site. 
because I, I did stick frame in that that office space myself and I did the drywall and painting and now I'm putting in a drop ceiling and it still needs a floor. I'm, I'm doing all that myself. I'm very much enjoying the process of getting my hands dirty, <laughs> of, of working on something physical. I, I always find that rewarding. I think I've talked about that before, but yeah, lots to do. Um, lots of my time that, that I'm putting in there, but it's oh, it's going to be so sweet once it's done. I had that yeah. that this is it this is the dream moment today when i had like the I've, I've just got like um the drop ceiling light sitting on the on the wall right now um leaned up against the wall um at the music blasting outside and in, in the open space and walked out of, of the office and was like yeah this is it <laughs> <laughs> no i really envy you for that uh to be totally honest this would be something i i would want for myself just the vast open area the possibility to have as you just said, different sets, you can have different projects going on in different, in different like corners of the room. You don't have to, to clean up all of the time because well, you can work on that stuff. Probably still should. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I now have the, it's just, I know the space to put like a, a CNC router or a, a manual mill or a, a lathe or stuff like that. Um, mm. I've, I've owned, a uh, I've owned a TIG welder for a while. Um, but I've, I've loaned that out to a buddy because I don't have the space to put it anywhere. <laughs> um, so that's been living with them for, for the longest time and I can finally get it back in house and, and use it. And it's just, mm. it's so much space for activities as they mm. say. And you don't, I, it's as, as it sounds, you don't have a neighbor where you have to be super patient that you're quiet all of the time. Because I was also looking for an office space and they told me, yeah, we would like that. Uh, there are other like companies and, and, and people there. We would like that to be really quiet and stuff like that. And I said, oh, I don't know if that's going to work out all of the time. Yeah. So it's. It's not an office space. It is an actual halle, a warehouse. It's basically just a yeah. four walls and a roof. And I share that building with my landlord. So the, the, the building is like 10 by 20 meters. And the back half of the building um, is where my landlord does his stuff. Um, and there's like a, there's a solid wall between us. Well, if, if you can still hear each other through the, through the ceiling, mm. um, but it's not bad. Like if I, if I run a router or something, it's not going to bother him because he doesn't do any recording or stuff <laughs> where, where, where like absolute silence would be critical. And also the good thing is he doesn't have a business that is noisy either. Um, so perfect for recording. And it's, it's, a, it's a freestanding building. It's not like a, an office complex or something. Mm. And yeah, if, if you hear a bit of noise outside, it's not going to bother anyone. Yeah, and it is... It is a warehouse but it still has like floor integrated heating which yeah. is something that just makes living and working there way more pleasant if you have your small office in there it's not gonna, gonna feel that much different than like being at home absolutely yeah so i've, I've got a little window to the outside of the of the studio and that i put in <laughs> well it's it's around the corner you can i mean that that would be the studio backdrop but it's gonna be it's 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 really gonna be sweet um cool and it's not that expensive i mean it's it's a fair price it's a fair deal that i got um it's close enough to me that i could ride my bike or even walk the dogs there um so that's that's perfect mm. yeah so so far if yeah unless i find like that what's what's it called that that one 
that that one thing that that stands out and that's bothering me i, I think this is going to be really sweet so cool yeah I've, I've been working just physically construction doing doing all that stuff um getting everything ready and hopefully by the end of the month i'll be moved over there um and i'll be working from there that's a pretty tight schedule i mean it's i've hmm, when did i start so end of february basically is when i started like the construction stuff um so i'm redoing all the electrical um, i'm building that that office in there that is almost done now um just need to put in the drop ceiling so electrical i still need to mostly do and they're just moving everything over so that's basically i've got one more video to make next week and then i can move over and and spend my time on that so should be should be done by the end of the month i hope <laughs> well you have been moving out of your old space one and a half years ago two years ago something roughly like something that. like that yeah yeah uh, so there's probably not going to be that much stuff you find in 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 your studio now where you think oh yeah there's still like five printers from GearBest. i didn't know <laughs> i put them there I mean, I, I, I think I still have like one or two printers, AlphaWise or something, in the boxes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Joel yeah. just found one. Uh, he found yeah. the U30 in the box. <laughs> I don't know. So I, I'm not going to be moving everything over there right away. So I'll, I'll still keep, you know, the workshop, which is my personal workshop, basically, the, mm. the, the space that I've started filming stuff in um, many years ago now. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm still going to be able to use the space here in the basement. So I. But don't have the pressure to move everything to the new space immediately. But I guess this is also one of the good things because then you still have your personal shop again at home and you can use it again to work on stuff that doesn't go on video. That's just yeah. for either your own pleasure or just because you need to do it at home. And again, you, you can leave your stuff there. There's not the necessity to put it on the side that you can continue working on on a video where everything needs to look good and nice and stuff like that. Yeah. So I guess this is something which is really nice also like separating work and, and living and oh, just yeah. being at home again. Absolutely. And I, I, I fully understand that this is a an absolute luxury situation to be in. Uh, having the space at home to have a workshop uh, mm. and, and a studio <laughs> space and a dedicated building that, that I can run my YouTube yeah. stuff out of. Um, and uh, I, I, I guess not, not everyone's watching from Patreon and, and supporters, but like, thank you guys for, for making this possible. This is a, <laughs> a dream come true for me, basically. And hopefully really it's going to cool. be, it's, I mean, the, the goal, of course, is to have the option to do more content, to hire someone finally um, to to help me produce more stuff. It's it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that the pressure is on right now because it's like I've, I've been dreaming of this for so long. And now it's like I, I have to I have to make it work. I have to to move on this. But yeah, super exciting times. Cool. Yeah. And you on that. <laughs> Maybe just to to get this uh, to close, I was also looking for for space, and uh, there's currently an an uh, an old like industrial site being renovated, like just one kilometer next to me, because there is the Landesgarten show, like the um, I don't know state garden exhibition, yeah. something something Not garden in basically. 
Yeah. Uh, here in two years, and they're renovating those uh, really old industrial complex, and they're also putting like new offices in there. But uh, there was one free, eighty or ninety square meters, but they were asking like around fifty hundred bucks a month for that. Okay, that's that's pretty steep. That's pretty steep. And then there's the thing that um, like a work workshop in the basement would have cost extra that they wanted to have quiet neighbors. Um, right. There were really big glass windows all around the office, which is not super great for like production work. Yeah. So I don't know if I will regret in the future not, not taking that deal because the office itself would have been like really nice and just like a kilometer from where I'm living. But on the other hand, like just spending 1500 bucks on... On a space that's already limiting you. like mm. Exactly. It's way more than we're paying in the house where I'm currently living at. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I hope that something else will pop up in the future. Yeah. Maybe there's just going to be something that, that clicks like it was for me. It was like, yeah, there it is. Totally inconspicuous uh, listing. And it was like, it's the perfect place. So, no, and I was waiting for this thing for like four or five years. So, like, <laughs> finally, <laughs> yeah, finally, Some, take sometimes it. stuff stuff just clicks. Um, so let's move into some some topics, shall we? Yes. Well, after we finish this this banger of a first topic, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm so excited about this. Um, but yeah, you you put in a a big topic for this week that has a, a bunch of facets to it and a bunch of different angles that we can explore it from. Uh, and you just put in there: should we even review Pro Tools? What what is yeah, that all about? That is all about, I guess, your recent review of the Form Three, which is plus. a Form Three Plus, <laughs> which is. Uh, Five thousand bucks, three thousand bucks. Uh, I already forgot. I think it's like four and a half grand for the machine, uh, including VAT. Um, but, okay, four and a half grand. But the, of course, the washing and curing stations are like another sixteen hundred ish on top of that. So like six six grand for the setup. It's an expensive SLA three D printer. Pretty much. And I recently reviewed a, I would put it a semi professional CNC router, and. I kind of got a lot of hate or not me personally, but people were complaining that the machine is way too expensive for what it is delivering. Because I think my and also your audience is mainly makers for whom price is a, is a, is a thing they're thinking about. And most of them would rather either build something from scratch or buy something cheap and just improve it that it properly works. So paying like 3000 bucks for a CNC router, which doesn't have linear rails and bolts, screws and things like that, um, seem to be way too much for lots of my viewers. But the thing that they, that the company Mechanica is offering is that the machine properly works when you assemble it. It is, it is easy to assemble. It has a proper certificate of confirm, conformity. Right. They provide a ton of tutorials and just background information to make the thing being usable very easily. And, uh, for something, for someone who wants to buy 
a tool in order to make a product with it and probably maybe doesn't have that much experience with CNC routing or CNC in general. Um, a product like this, even though it's way more expensive than DIY solutions is in my opinion, still way is still worth the money. And I was kind of feeling bad for Mechanica at the, at that moment because they said, Oh, they're, they're really, they're seriously upset because they have put so much effort and, and heart into that product. And now they're getting comments like, this is way too expensive. This, this doesn't have a, 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 basically a place. And, um, I, I wondered if you got kind of the same comments on the form three, because I think it goes in the same direction. Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. Same, same comments. Um, but it's always when there's like a, a tool that costs more than, uh, let's say the, the average or the, the lower end, uh, alternatives, um, it's always that, that same reaction. Like, Hey, my, my printer can do the same at a fraction of the cost. Um, yeah. Quite often it is, hey, my 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 upgraded Ender three can print just as nicely and just as fast, and I'm like, sure, yeah, absolutely, but like, you're kind of missing the point. Um, so I, I took I took two notes here um, that that while we, while we were talking, I was actually skipping over stuff. Um, you were saying the yeah, the, our audience is maker and low cost and DIY focused, but I think it's just that that is a larger audience right that that there are mm -hmm. more people there that in the in the absolute sense scheme of things there are more people that are able to get into low cost stuff um and and want to tinker with that and have a bit, a bit of extra time to spend on that mm -hmm. then there are people actually using a product for its intended purpose for for production mm -hmm. um if you'd i should turn on this extra light ha huh. uh, sorry uh for 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 like the the absolute exact use case that somebody like Formlabs is is uh, looking at. Um, that was the other thing that I was noting down. The Formlabs Form 3 Plus is not the best resin printer. It is like, it doesn't have the, the crispest prints. Uh, the resin is hellishly expensive. Um, and it, yeah, it's slow. It's It's just, if you just take the specs, it is not a good printer. But mm. if you take the experience, it's a much better print. It's it's not perfect either, but um, it's a much better overall experience than um, like a Mars or something like that. Yeah. Just because you get the you get the the the, the, the no, you, you don't have to handle resin as much as another printer. You don't mm. pour out a bottle. You just have the cartridge. You have the tank that you can easily replace resins with, um, which you can technically also do on other printers. Um, the the interface is like really dumped down really simplified um it's just that that it no even even the choice of of using a laser versus an lcd i think is is at this point in time is purely because they've got the laser under control and they know mm. it's going to last um mm. an lcd just it, it's more fragile it's going to wear down i don't know how long exactly an lcd is going to last i've not worn one down yet but i have cracked one which probably wasn't its intended use case yeah i was i was shoving like <laughs> uh, fibers in there so like okay um but yeah it's it's just it's a it's a different trade-off right it's a different mm -hmm. trade-off of features versus performance versus usability and 
if you look at price, and I think that that's something I mentioned in the Form 3 Plus review too, um, the fact that you don't have to train someone on the machine, if you're mm. looking at a, at a business case, if you're looking at a you know use case where you put this thing in a company, in a corporation technically, um, and use it for profits, you use it for producing something that you either wouldn't be able to do otherwise or would do you know in a, in a fabrication shop then the fact that you don't have to train people for you on, on using it it's going to save you so much money <laughs> and the like the machine price at that point is completely irrelevant the four yeah. four and a half grand plus the the 1600 bucks for, for the washing cure like doesn't matter at all that's like you know if it saves you two or three days and you have 10 users, um, it's already paid for itself. Yeah. So that is that is the value proposition there. And I've tried to focus on that with my review videos, just just like pointing out, hey, this is this is why this is different. Um, and I think I, I got the point across somewhat. Mm-hmm. But it's still, of course, it is still hard to explain to an audience that is that is used to mm-hmm. just getting everything at a barging cost but also having to invest lots of their own time into getting stuff to work. Yeah. I'm not saying that every product is like that. There are definitely some some good ones that don't require any futzing and yeah. they just work, but there's always there, there's always a trade-off. Yeah. But in the end getting this negative co- getting this negative feedback from like the viewers, I I have been asking myself if I should accept like similar products in the future where I know that 99% of my audience won't be buying it and can't be buying it because they are not the proper target target audience. Um, is it still interesting for them to see what can be done on professional machines, what professional machines look like? Or... Um, isn't it really interesting for the big crowd? And does it maybe even harm the company that is giving you the like professional or semi-professional machine to review? Or is the exposure enough benefit for them? Uh, I, I I guess it's going to really depend on how you do the review. If you, if you, like I tried to, if you say, hey, this is a tool for this application and it's good in that, and it, it, it's good or bad in the intended application, then I think it's that's that's what they want, right? That's that's yeah. what's fair to the product. Mm. Um, if there is such a thing as, uh, as an application where it's actually good in. Uh, yeah. If it's a piece of crap that's just overpriced, that's a different story. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know, if, if you compare it to... To a to an inferior product, and you're just going like, well, this isn't better or that much. Better. Or if you if you leave out all the stuff that is unique to a product, that's that that's always what it comes down to, right? Um, it's the exact opposite of as far as the review process goes to reviewing an Ender three clone. With an Ender three clone, it's like, oh yeah, it's got this feature and that's built well and that isn't, so we can like directly compare it one Ender three ish machine to another um, <laughs> with something that is. Like its own little bubble that that you don't have anything that you can directly compare it to. It's it it takes a lot more effort to review. Um, mm. It's it takes a lot more effort to to be fair to the product and to get that across. Mm. Um, and it's 
I, I find it hard too to to like make a recommendation for or against a product when it's just it's it's a more unique thing, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I I will be definitely thinking about that fact next time a a company is is approaching me because I don't know I I th- I think it's going to be bad for me and for the company if the product is crap and well they they're not giving the user any benefits on on paying that much more but if there is the advantage of usability uh, I don't know a warranty or support they're getting or w- w- whatever yeah. and it makes the product worthwhile for a specific application or user i i guess it still might be interesting but it is really hard and i haven't thought about that fact that much in the past but it just i don't know it 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 was also a bit it it hurt also It hurt a bit to hear from the company themselves that 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 they feel so bad about all of these negative comments, and I tried to explain them that I have basically expected them, and they yeah. should not feel that bad about it. <laughs> well, For once, it's the internet. Yeah. For once, just the my audience and their target audience, there isn't that much intersection, but there is still a bit of intersection, which I think still makes the review worthwhile for this small group yeah well so so my experience with like as far as like interest in in stuff is you know the pro stuff rarely gets the same amount of of attention as like a a solid affordable option um what 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 do i compare i mean we've we've got mark forged here as as one of our next points um Mm -hmm. i think mark forged got a lot of interest because they were unique um what else there was something that was where, where people were really interested in and the video did really well, but it was not something that was even in the in the like range of attainability for for like your average user. So sometimes sometimes it works. Sometimes it's just the the product is just that good. But most of the time, pro level tools on our on on my channel at least, and it, I think it's similar for you, doesn't get the same amount of interest um, as far as views goes. And also earnings wise, if if you're taking if you're taking a look from the from the money perspective, is it worthwhile for us to do them? Well, if people aren't buying the products through affiliate links, as you know, would be a really easy way to cash in on, on like <laughs> hyping up an Ender Three Pro S Plus. Um, it's just not going to happen, right? Um, you, first of all, you, you're not going to find. I, I found like one affiliateable link for the Form Three um, <laughs> through iGo 3D that I could put up. Um, but yeah, nobody's going to be, nobody from the audience is going to be buying that. And especially not the links up, like we're not earning anything on on those reviews, um, except for ad revenue and and sponsors. So it's from a, from a monetary perspective, it doesn't make sense. But what you pointed out, like, is it still interesting? I find it interesting to see like what else is out there for, for me personally, I, I, I really enjoy that, that little look outside of our tiny dessert bowl that, that we live in Mm. and just. We wouldn't tell it on Sean, right? Um, yeah. That's what I find interesting, though. Like I said, the the videos that get produced from that don't tend to get the best response. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
So maybe you just uh, teased it. Uh, your invite for the for doing a another Mark Forged re review. Can you talk about that for a bit? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, uh, there's not much to talk about. So if you if you enter into the Google search engine. Um, Mark II review. One of the top hits is, I think it's going to be like hit number one or hit number two. Uh, you're going to have the YouTube link to my video from five years ago where I review the Mark Forged Mark II. Um, for those of you who don't know, Mark Forged makes um, machines that inlay. Oh, yeah, I can hear it in the background there. Um, <laughs> um, Mark Forged makes machines that inlay, sorry, uh, solid carbon fiber strands into, or continuous carbon fiber strands into mm. nylon. So either into like um, PA612, I don't know what, what they use, uh, or a chopped carbon fiber reinforced material. Uh, they're calling Onyx, which is also nylon-based. And they just insert, they have a second extruder head that inserts like a nylon-coated um, carbon fiber or Kevlar or whatever you want to use. Um, and that's what they do. That's that's their thing that the machine is built for. And they reviewed the Mark II, which is their flagship. Or I don't know if the flagship, but it's like their their bread and butter machine. Um, basically, it's a really well built machine. It is, it's incredible to look at. It is nicely made, um, and it is incredibly expensive, <laughs> as as we we talked about with these Pro tools. Um, it's very expensive. It's a it's a nice printer, and it does. The job well it makes very rigid parts um and yeah that they, they wanted me to review it their, their agency did so their agency sent me an email hey we've got this cool product from mark forged would you like to try it out and i was like dude like use google come on <laughs> uh yeah so i'm not i'm not re-reviewing the machine because it's i mean it's it's the same machine if okay <laughs> A uh, lot of people were like, "Hey, take the money and just do it." I was like, "What? What money?" I guess, like, like I just talked about, there's no, there's no affiliate money in it. Um, the videos typically don't perform well. Uh, I don't get paid to do reviews um, by the companies, only by the sponsors if somebody's interested in that. But like, yeah, there's no. And if you're not ke keeping the product and and use it for your benefits, or uh, if if you can sell it afterwards, it's a lot of work for not that much gain exactly yeah so i i did send the original mark ii back that i that i reviewed um as i will with the form three plus um so yeah there's there's no the, the thing maybe maybe one last point with those um pro-grade machines if it's a locked ecosystem like it is with the mark forged machine or with the form with the form labs um i should really put these fidget pcbs aside um it's not a, ma a machine that i would be interested in in keeping and in, in using actually because well using them is expensive and i have i think i have enough training to use a machine that gives me the same or better results with less monetary investment let's put it like that mm -hmm. um, because typically you know we don't get like a, a consumable flat rate uh, <laughs> with the, with the product we review or we get to keep it's not like hey here's a an AnyCubic M3 Plus. And by the way, if you ever need any resin, yeah, just reach out and we're going to send you like a, a 20 kilo package. No, that, that's not <laughs> how it works. If if you if you need some stuff, usually the companies are fine with it, but it's not like we just get a flat rate, especially not with the more expensive consumables with for, uh, yeah, Formlabs or Markforged. 
Yeah, Lo- and um, I'm, I'm talking a lot today. Much. Sorry about that. You, yeah, you're talking a lot. I'm I'm already a bit tired, so it's it's already late in the day. So <laughs> I I hope you guys don't don't really notice that. Uh, yeah, and and I guess if your viewers in the end want to replicate things from your projects, and you're using materials and machines that they don't have access to, and they maybe don't even compare to the machines that are otherwise on the market. For, for example, the, the Formlabs printer. Um, this might make your videos worth because, yeah, as I said, they are not as easy. Yeah. Re, re, rep, replicable? Re, replicable? Reproducible? Reproducible? Yeah. yeah. Whatever. Um, yeah. So if you, if you use like the, what is it called? The, the something, 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 10,000 or whatever reason from Formlabs. Yeah. Uh, that's glass fiber reinforced. Um mm-hmm. I've not used it. They just sent me two of their standard gray cartridges, which is a bit of a shame, but I only have one yeah. bat either. But it is what it is. Um, I, from from what I've read, um, the parts with that glass fiber reinforcement, reinforced resin are crazy strong. Um, and it's an actual engineered resin as opposed to like the glass fiber experiments that I did. Um <laughs> So yeah, if if there's a project that I do that requires that resin and it fits a project that invites replication mm. uh, by users and not something from stuff made here where it's where, where the thing's gonna kill you <laughs> if you use it wrong, um, <laughs> then yeah, that that's that makes that makes the project itself less attractive, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Don't want to ramble on that too much. <laughs> but to get to the next point, Mark Fritsch now introduced uh, PLA. Yeah, they they, <laughs> they they discovered PLA for the machine. I mean, I mean, okay, we're, we're laughing here, but it's it's the same thing, right? It's it's pro. It's a usability thing. If you if you already mm. know the machine and you just want a cheaper, <laughs> a cheaper filament at sixty four euros per kilogram, um, and you want to keep using your your Markforge printer for that, mm. then you now can. They now sell you PLA that works. With the microforged yeah. printers, I I I tried to check it, and I haven't found that Markforged was selling any other. How are they calling it? Precise PLA. Uh, if they were selling unprecise PLA uh, before, um, so I guess yeah, I, I think they have for once seen the necessity to make their printers usable with less expensive materials that might even give you better printing results, like nylons for example and um also just a market there because if they can sell their precise precise pla for 64 euros a kilogram um, i think there's quite a bit of a markup on those rolls easy money um i guess you said before that um in the past they said that they're hardened and their extrusion system might not be made for PLA either if I it's because don't know about that. heat creep yeah. either if it's due to I don't know they have kind of a, a closed printing chamber it is yeah it is enclosed but it's I don't think it is heated though I don't really remember That's, it's, it's probably not, it's not actively fi- heated it's been five years since my review sorry about that <laughs> um, uh, it, is, it is definitely being heated by the build platform which is just a slab of aluminum yeah. And this makes, well, the harder the environment is, the harder it is to print PLA. So there might have definitely 
be some reasons why PLA was not a material I, that worked well on their machines. I don't even know if it has a part cooling fan. Part cooling fan. Yeah. Exactly. Because the nylons don't need it. So it, it might actually be a, a special formulation of PLA that's, you know, you, you can get the different nature works uh, grades that does not suffer as much from a lack of, of part cooling. So, yeah. Though... And yeah, no, this this does look like a part cooling fan, to be honest. It, it does look like um, they have a part cooling fan. I, on the one hand, I, for the consumer, if I find it kind of good that they're integrating PLA in in their slice on everything because, um, I still have the opinion that printing PLA has definitely its place, not only for visual parts but there are even some mechanical applications where it can be used if the conditions are right Absolutely. and in the end I, I'm, I'm quite sure if you're comparing the print quality of parts from pla to to nylon materials i think pla will will be better maybe you you probably can even print it faster so you can faster iterate on your projects so why not try either really to tweak a material that it works on your machine or just to tweak the process that um, the machine can use that material? Yeah. yeah. I don't know how locked up the system is. So if you can just feed the printer with non-Markforged PLA. Uh, I don't remember. You... <laughs> <laughs> well, things could have also changed over the last years. So... I find it kind of good uh, that that something like this is happening. This remind this remind this reminds me quite a bit um, about a a machine that we have at work, which is like a really nice three D printer for printing ABS parts that can be more or less like half a meter by half a meter by Ooh. half a meter in in volume. Um, this machine was designed with a heated chamber to print huge abs parts and it's doing that job very well but like uh i guess like two years after we bought the machine uh they started introducing also pla on their machine because i guess they also had a bunch of customers uh that wanted to print pla uh due to i don't know more colors available nicer print quality and things like that but they for example had to add a part cooling fan they had to make sure that their closed and isolated chamber is well ventilated to keep the temperatures low if you have a print bed that is half a meter by half a meter it gets really toasty in that chamber even if you only have uh, uh, 60 degrees yeah. uh, on the bed um but they also seem to have, yeah, made it work. And for us as a company, it has the benefit that we are now able to print bigger parts, which I find kind of nice. Yeah. Um, I just looked up the, um, the, the, the ERM and lock-in on okay. MarkForged, at least from my review, which was video number, internal number 114. I'm not at 352. <laughs> three um yeah across 500 videos on the channel uh recently so like wow oh and, four, and 400 thousand subscribers yeah, thank you yeah. i i i always miss these these uh milestones and then I'm like well maybe let's maybe let's do like a multiple of two um <laughs> 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 or what's it called then uh potence two 
a power off. Yeah, let's do power of two just just <laughs> just to make it look like that was intentional. But yeah, I totally missed that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Mark Forge printer, at least when I did the review five years ago, um, did not have any DRM or cartridge system or chipping mm. or whatever. So quote, um, while there's no DRM or cartridge system keeping you from using other filaments on the Mark Forge machines, and you could even use Mark Forge base materials on other printers as it's just standard 1.75 millimeter size, they still heavily advise against using third-party materials, especially when using it with continuous fiber. So that's mm. that's maybe a bit of an asterisk. As, as, asterisk in Ophelix, yeah. Uh, asterisk. Um, you are not going to be able to use continuous fiber reinforcement with PLA, um, I believe, because it's coated with a with with a nylon that makes it compatible with mm. the Onyx and with a nylon, and I, I, I doubt that would be compatible with PLA. Yeah. That's... Yeah, you. I, I guess you could use just standard PLA on on the machine now. So, yeah. bravo! Congratulations. Unless they add <laughs> some DRM, which I, I don't think they did. Okay. So <sighs> we we covered we covered the topic in all ex, its extensiveness. <laughs> so let's let's maybe let's maybe scale it down a bit, or scale it up. As you did with uh, your macro photography approach, yes. so we can probably now do our um, um, our thumbnail shot. Uh, oh, there we are. What, what, yeah, uh, if if we can get in focus, there you go. That is my. <laughs> There's the thumbnail. That's my twenty dollar like macro lens, which is a cheap ten x microscope objective on a 160 millimeter tube yeah. with um an l-mount adapter that uh, screws to my camera okay okay so it's a it's a microscope lens just nothing nothing special the same thing you would no. put on an extra microscope question for me is there any active optical element in there except for that lens no okay it's not so basically, all you're doing is is you're adjusting the flange distance, and that's it. Exactly. Oh. Maybe to do a bit more of an introduction to the ones who are not following me on Twitter and on Instagram, I I have been loving macro photography and just micros working at microscope microscopes for many years, but uh, like a month or two ago, I got into some kind of a rabbit hole and watched a bunch of, of videos on macro photography. And I thought, okay, I want to dig deeper in that because it was always interesting me, uh, interesting for me to take a, an in, in depth and detailed look on 3d printed parts or on, I don't know, kind of nozzles and things like that. So yeah, I, I started playing around and I noticed that, well, I, I do have a macro lens for my, other setup which is a 30 millimeter panasonic yeah. which does a really great job but i always lacked a bit the um amount of magnification so yeah. i did a bit of research ended up buying at first a new camera <laughs> as, as one does <laughs> as one does uh yeah I, I bought a full frame camera um i don't know somehow so, just to use though this mic yeah, honestly, full frame doesn't. I mean, if if you're going for maximum magnification, I think the smaller sense would actually be better because you're cropping yes. in essentially. 
Um, exactly. If your if your lens can handle it, if your lens can yeah. can produce enough detail for yeah. to, to to cater for that crop. Yeah. So I was looking for commercial uh, or commercially available microscope lenses for cameras, and there there isn't actually a ton for the micro four thirds. Um, cameras that I use with my uh, GH5 and my GX80 that I've been using over the last years. So um, I have found this Laova 20, uh, 2.5, 25 millimeter 2.5 to 5x microscope lens. And I bought the uh, suitable camera body with it. And I, it, it enabled me to, to, really use my my camera as a microscope um the thing is with these uh with these lenses the depth of field that you're getting is really really shallow sometimes only a couple of micrometers yeah so what i also had to do is i have a um a macro sled is it called macro sled i think it's called a macro sled it's 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 basically a mount on which I can put the camera and then with like a thumb screw, for example, move the camera in, in short intervals, um, closer to the object. And then you can, at each of the iterations, you, you make more one picture, put them into a software. The software is calculating from each picture, the uh, section of the picture that is sharp or is, which is in focus. And then it's creating one picture where everything is in focus. And that was really nice. And of course, I wanted to go even deeper or even closer. And yeah, I did even more research and, and, and browsed around and read a couple of things. And people were just suggesting using cheap microscope ob objectives and Lenses. they have a focal length of 160 millimeters. So if you put oh, them 160 millimeters, that is cool. Away. That is quite. So, is that something that is specific to that to that 10x magnification lens, or no? It is not. Um, 160 millimeters. Oh, hold, um, hold on. So, so not focal length, but like focus flange distance sensor. It's flange distance. It's well, um, Brennweite. Is it? I think it's for. Well, is it? You have to mount them 160 yes. millimeters apart from your sensor to get a sharp image. It's the standard for, I wouldn't say all, uh, even commercial microscopes, but it is a standard that has been around for a hundred years. Okay. Um, so if he, so at the, at that 160, 100, more like that, at that 160 millimeters, either you have your, your sensor, if you're, if you're, mapping your image um directly onto a an image yep. capture device or you have some some sort of eyepiece that creates that focus that that trans translates transforms that that focused image back into a reales imaginaries whatever that's called in english uh something something that you can see that, with that, that you can see with the eye because your eye is yeah, basically exactly. another camera so Exactly. Yeah, okay. And that works really well. So, um, of course, on a podcast, you, you, you can't show, uh, uh, pictures that well. Uh, but, but if you guys are lis listening and want to see a couple of really interesting, I don't know, just macro shots of cold pools of oh, yeah. broken carbon fiber reinforced materials, uh, check my Instagram or my, or my Twitter. I I still love it. It's it's such a rabbit hole I fell in, and I just 
love taking these detailed looks on on parts and of course i invested quite a lot of money for the camera body and the laova lens but if you have a dslr um this thing is 20 bucks of course yeah. you have you should get um the um the lens adapter but though in the end you could also 3d print that but i yeah didn't but want to one, one of those adapters um i got like um, an extension tube adapter that's basically just the yeah. the, the lens mount plus yeah. like some fine thread um yeah. fine pitch thread it, those are like 10 bucks right yeah um or if you get like a just if you want the metal mount to mount mm. into the camera you can also get like a, an l mount in your case to whatever canon fd or something and and glue yeah. in your your printed uh extension tube. Yeah. so that that's not a huge investment and nope. honestly yeah like you said if you have a dslr or any dslm even <laughs> mirrorless camera anything yeah. that that you can mount your own lenses onto is is yeah. perfect in fact the camera that i have as my main camera the a7s3 is probably one of the worst cameras for it because it has a huge sensor, so you don't get much magnification. Mm. And also, it's only 12 megapixels. Mm. So you can't really crop into it much. Yeah. Um, so what I've thought about is actually using the the my actual microscope camera <laughs> that I have, <laughs> um, which just happened to be like a microscope camera, but it's just a, a 4K 60 camera with an HDMI output and a USB port um, that you can save like captured images onto. Um, that's my starting soon camera for live streams. That's like completely out of focus. Um, <laughs> and it has a tiny sensor. It has like a one over or one, one third inch type mm. sensor or something. So that would really crop into those images. Yeah. Um, yeah, may maybe, maybe have to do some, some experimentation there too. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, for the future, I, I really want to make a video on that topic. I am still so what else what i'm currently doing and some members of the community are helping me out there so the macro sled that i made um i started like really turning the thumb screw manually but if you need to do 200 300 400 shots of of a part this takes a while and the thing is that any teeny tiny amount of of, of vibration that you're getting will screw up your images so what like the pros are using they're using motorized um camera sleds but they're they are starting at around 500 bucks um i've got one of those but it's not a particularly good one uh idea i've got like a just put you, you could even put it on a 3d printer yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so just put put it on the bed um yeah put it on the bed use it with, um, with octo print octolabs there's the, the there's probably a g-code to trigger um the the shutter on a camera um, yeah. with either cable or infrared or something do yeah. that just move like 0.05 yeah. millimeters on the wax put your camera yeah. on there yeah i want to ha i wanted to have a dedicated setup and something that i i don't know could even carry around and, and and place where i wanted to so i i started i made a prototype of a motorized um mount and then somebody helped me out and made a pcb for um the esp32 with um the stepper motor driver and somebody else helped me out to um write a nice web interface where yeah which you can then use to control it to say okay um go one millimeter of, of distance and to do like yeah. 300 shots 
um, yeah, that, during that's, this time. Yeah, that's not typically what you do on a, on a camera yeah. slider. So I've, my, my slider is like a meter long, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, you do you do time lapse, right, on that. You don't typically... Oh, your image was frozen up for a while there. Yeah, um, it was gone for a second. You, you, you do, you do time lapse over yeah. hours, and, and you, you get, you know, a thousand images typically is, is what yeah. I do for time lapse. Yeah. You don't do just one millimeter very precisely. So I, you know, ready-made hardware, probably not the the best yeah. choice for that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to, at some point, kind of finish that project and um, to just to open source also the hardware for the camera slider because it it is cheap to make and i think there are many people around who would have a lot of fun using using such a system and uh either for entertainment purposes or even for scientific purposes i did really great pictures of uh, filaments and um i just today i did a um a really nice macro shot of a cut up Revo nozzle and just take a look at the internal surface finish and all of that stuff. And it's cheap if you, if, if you know what you're doing, but getting started is kind of hard and putting that into a video. I, I think there are going to be a couple of people who, who might enjoy that. Yeah. Not just in 3D printing, but yep. just in general. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. I've thought about, so maybe one less comment. I've, I've thought about like <laughs> other ways of, of doing this. Um, with especially with a with a smaller microscope camera that actually fits onto a microscope i i've i've looked at just getting a regular microscope and you typically have mm-hmm. like the focus adjust dial just motorizing that um yeah. just putting the camera on there using an actual microscope and just motorizing that that move up and down yeah. same same idea and i guess your your hardware would work for that as well um yep. with the ESP32 just have a different motor mount totally work yeah Definitely. I thought about buying a proper microscope exactly for, for such a purpose. But if you want to buy a proper microscope, it starts at five grand, but then you're really getting just the very, very cheap stuff or it's, it's a special influencer price or I don't know. Um, in the end, I'm, I'm quite happy that I waited because the results I'm now getting are really, really nice. And maybe even just one last comment. Um, so with doing these individual images at, at different stages, you're getting in the end, um, during the image stacking process, a depth map of, right. Yeah. Um, of the thing that you have been photographing. And since, you know, using a motorized camera, uh, slider, how big the distance was that you have been moving the camera slider between each step, you can you can use this setup to make really precise 3D scans, basically. Yeah. yeah. To figure if out you, if you surface a, roughness. If you have a scale reference in, in the image yeah. somewhere or you know your scale if at, at a fixed focal length or focus yeah. distance, then... Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, the... the if if it's an object that has some contrast to it or some surface texture, if it's just like a plain white ball, um, your image stacking software isn't going to be able to detect yeah. much in in, in no. terms of features, <laughs> um, and there's not going to be much stacking happening. But yeah, yeah, um, anything that has texture, even even lathe marks or stuff on a nozzle, I mean, yeah. at that scale, you really see those. Um, <laughs> that's yeah, reverse engineering. <laughs> <laughs> that you can do with a camera. Nice. Cool. 
So one thing that didn't work out so well for you that you put in there is uh, your your volcano vol vol volcano volcano that. Mm. Volcano adapters. We can't make yeah, a nice, so... nice mixed word out of that. Volcano adapters. Volcano adapter. Volco adapters. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, so, well, this is basically nothing I really came up with, but I used in in one of the recent videos just a basically. A, a, a thumb screw, which I drilled um, a hole through as a spacer to use a normal length or standard length V6 nozzle in a volcano. A grub hot screw. End. A grub screw. Yep. Not thumb screw. Grub screw. Nope, um, be because a volcano nozzle is, is exactly 8.5 millimeters longer than a V6 nozzle. But um, some nozzles, for example, like the CHT nozzle, from Bontec, uh, the high flow nozzle is not available in that form factor. So you put that adapter in the middle and then you can use any nozzle on a volcano hot end, and you, you which I found you still get a flow advantage from using the, the longer melt zone in the volcano. Exactly. Yeah. So you get both. You have the flow advantage with the CHT nozzle and the flow advantage with like the longer heater zone. Um, and there wasn't a, a product widely available so there wasn't basically a product available this was still a diy solution so we thought yeah let's just um source a couple of these and put them in into our shop if people are interested in them they can buy them so we sourced a bunch of them i sent them out to like 15 beta testers because i wanted to make sure that they are working before we're uh we're selling them and after a couple of weeks we got basically almost only positive feedback that everything was working yada yada and um yeah then we started selling them on on our shop and i don't know there was there was some incident during the beta test where somebody said ah this adapter somehow exploded in my hot end and he didn't know why what or he he thought this was happening because he had a clock and then he removed um, the adapter. He burned it out with a torch. And when he installed it again, it basically broke into pieces in, in, in his hot end. Okay. Well, that, that sounds like you, you'd be like changing the, the material crystallization yeah. by, by heating it up that far. But That's what we actually uh, thought as well because I wasn't able to replicate that at home. But... I don't know. One night I woke up, <laughs> which sounds really bad. And I thought, damn it. Uh, so what I usually do, even with my, my normal nozzles, I usually hot tighten them at maximum 250 degrees Celsius because for once I usually don't often print that high. And if you're still like properly tightening a nozzle at 250 degrees Celsius, yeah, it will even not leak at 280 degrees Celsius. Exactly. And that's what I usually do. And that's what I also did with my volcano adapter. And that's probably what all of the other, other testers did with their volcano adapter. I don't know. I woke up and thought, damn it. What happened? Is, is the material maybe getting weaker if you would hot tighten it properly? So really heating, mm -hmm. um, your whole hot end up to 300 degrees Celsius and then, then doing the tightening process. So yeah, the next morning. Screwed in the volcano adapter, heated the hot end up to 280 degrees, tried to turn the hex key and it just, the adapter it exploded in the okay. hot end. It shattered. Huh. 
And uh, yeah, I, I wasn't that happy at that point because I think at that point we have already been like selling 50 orders. And um, if everything works out, um, you are still able to remove the adapter quite easily out of the hot end. Um, But this is, is is this something that's happening like that, that where where the material grain is permanently changed if it ever gets to 280 degrees or is this just while it is at that temperature? It is just while it is at that temperature. So what I, what I then did is I lowered the temperatures in steps and and always tightened uh, the adapter again and noticed st- at uh, 260 degrees Celsius it, it doesn't happen anymore. So okay. I think at at the point so the strength of a material usually falls with temperature, but often the um, um, temperature and strength are not proportional over the whole temperature range. So in like the usual temperatures between like like room temperature and maybe 200 degrees Celsius, it is quite linear. So you have a, a bit of a fall of the strength, but then depending on the material at some point, you get a really sharp transition or the the strength falls quite significantly. And um, it seems that the alloy that we have been using for the adapter, um, which is not the common um, alloy that many are using for, for nozzles, um, I'll come to that point in a second. Um, seems to be weakening quite a bit at temperatures higher than 250 degrees Celsius. So, uh, in the end, what we did, we, we, yeah, wrote an email with the investigation and, um, what happened and the recommendation to only tighten the nozzle at 240 degrees Celsius, which right. is usually fine for most of the materials. But it is just something where I thought again, okay, what amount of testing do you need to do in order to make sure that things like that are not happening? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's beta testing. It, Essentially you have it, to do it out in the wild. Yeah. It's not something you can do yourself. Yeah. Um, so the reason why we chose a different brass alloy than like other brass parts is we wanted to make those parts out of a lead free, uh, lead free brass alloy. We talked yeah. about that already in in one of the previous podcasts so under reach lead is actually not really allowed anymore um there has been an exception that has been renewed and renewed over and over again but we thought okay let's um let's try to reduce or get rid of lead also in our product so we said to the manufacturer okay please use an alloy that doesn't contain that and it seems that this material is more susceptible at at higher temperatures than the usual brass alloys that we're using. Yeah. Well, so stuff, stuff, stuff we you try just to have make to it right. Out, right. Yeah. Um, but, but just to be clear, this, this behavior that you suddenly get this, this weakening temperature. I mean, it's something mm. you see in, in polymers with like the glass transition temperature. That's what, exactly. what that is. Um, but it's only something that is happening for metals in, in alloy specifically, right? It's not like, a pure aluminum or or iron bar doesn't have that sharp fall off it is literally just the alloy that is changing and possibly specifically for for brass alloys where it's where it's that noticeable it is it is noticeable for i would say most engineering materials but for this reason there is a usual temperature range defined for uh like 
materials that we're using. For example, the usual brass alloy that is used for most brass parts, um, it has the sharp drop off at right around 300 degrees Celsius, which is also one of the reasons why we are only using our brass nozzles to 300 degrees Celsius, because right. after that point, it significantly weakens. So it's probably um, not going to shatter, but it might see accelerated wear, etc. Exactly. Or you might break it off during hot tightening. Yeah. Could happen. Of course. Um, titanium 6.4, which is the most common titanium alloy, um, is... So if you, for example, look at, at, at a gas turbine or just... A, uh, uh, yeah, a turbine of an airplane. Yeah. There are different sections defined within that turbine, which have different temperatures and what materials are used there. So, for example, titanium 6.4 has a usable temperature range of, I think, up to 350 degrees Celsius because okay. up to that point, strength is totally fine. It, it gets lower a little bit, but at some point, it just starts significantly weakening. And this is the same with other alloys, sometimes the uh, crystalline structure changes, but this does not necessarily um, have to be the case. And yeah, we kind of learned the hard way that the cadmium-free alloy that we have been using for for our adapters, um, it's lead free. It's cat. Sorry, yeah, it's lead and cadmium. Free. So wait, 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 wait. Is there cadmium in the in the common brass alloys? I think there can be traces of cadmium in in the. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, not to the amount of lead because lead is really put into that alloy on purpose yeah. to make it, uh, easier to work and, and things like that. But, um, other heavy metals are still allowed up to a certain degree. Okay. So yeah, as, as I said, in the end, it just showed me that e even in the future, we, we, if we are, like starting to sell products or getting products to the market, we need to make sure that we have a proper procedure to test the parts before they're getting released to a wider audience. I thought like shipping the, the adapters to, to 15 people might be sufficient, but it turns out that there was only, and maybe to close this up, I, when I found that out, I wrote this guy a message and, and asked him, Hey, at what temperature do you hot tighten uh, or did you um, tighten the adapter? And he said, yeah, I'm always doing that at 300 degrees Celsius. Uh, so I said, okay, yep, uh, that was the case. And I spoke to a couple of others and most of them said, yeah, they're also just doing it at, at lower temperatures. <laughs> yeah. Do you, so do, do you know that joke with, uh, with a product tester walk or a, a QA engineer walks into a bar orders a beer, orders zero beers, orders 9,999 beers. Uh, everything works. Then they put it into production and the customer asks for the bathroom. The entire bar bursts to flames, killing everyone inside. That's that. That's kind of your situation right now, right? You, you have yeah. a you have a use case that you you yeah. couldn't anticipate, that you couldn't plan for, and yeah, that's that's what you need, like real life, yeah. fuzzy testing for, basically. Yeah. So, well, we, we could have, I, so of course, of course it was a bit of a mis mistake but... that I did. I should have thought about exactly that property and I should have tried out to hot tighten the nozzle at those temperatures. I made print tests. I assembled them plenty of times. I did talk tests when they're failing, but yeah. nothing really did happen. But 
just it's, temperature. It's that one edge case it's that somebody's going to discover. Yeah. And hopefully that's during beta testing. That's, I think, one of the reasons why this is really valuable. Yeah. Or you just do it like, uh, you know, all the all the game devs right now and you just do beta testing when you release it. Just say, hey, we're going to have a <sighs> patch in a week. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't start me on that. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. I really like the new... So, just one sense. I really like the new Battlefield and I'm still trying to play it kind of every day. It's, it's, it's a bit like a an addiction, uh, but... It's barely even possible here in Europe anymore to to find servers that are working. I think it's easier to play any Half-Life 1 mod at the moment in comparison wow. to a game that has been released a couple of months ago. It's horrible. Because it's just nobody playing them? It's, or it's... Matchmaking is not made anymore. Even though they ha they're having bots, they're not able to, f to, to, to fill servers anymore with people. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> I waited half an hour this afternoon uh to find a game and it just didn't start but and there's there's different no story. there's no server browser in there anymore right no they did not implement that yet ah. after 3 months we got a scoreboard <laughs> that wasn't in the game no there wasn't a scoreboard in the game and the only thing that was released in a patch like after 3 months now was yeah we finally added a scoreboard but nothing else hmm. I mean, I, I guess I can see why they wouldn't have it in the game in the first place to reduce toxicity, etc. But yes, just like they removed the dislike button. On YouTube. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, 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 made, away that made the platform yeah. so much better. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Volcano adapters, beta testing. That's it. That's a lesson learned. Um, yeah. I. I don't know. I, I keep saying like I want to. I want to stay away from just releasing a product, a physical thing that 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 i develop and, and put out there uh because of stuff like this because there's yep. so much overhead to yep. like you think oh i've got this cool thing i'm just gonna put it out of the market people are gonna buy it and, uh, 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 mm -mm. not that easy but it sounds like a it sounds like a fun challenge and and just it is just something a learning experience yeah something new that you've not done before mm. right yeah oh i don't know one day Maybe one day, one day. Uh, how much more energy do we have for for more topics? Uh, maybe, maybe just this one right here. Okay. Which is also well, we talked about games just a second ago, and I received an email today from uh, oh, Quinley. Um, Quinley Quinley Vision. Um, Word, word, I'm already missing the words. Wordle for 3D printing. Um, which said, Hey, do you want to try out your 3D printing skills? And we show you pictures of 3D printing fails and, um, you can classify these, uh, these 3D printing failures. And we gonna tell you how good you're stacking up against our AI, which might sound a little bit like, hey, either here's a cool game or they want to advertise their AI for finding 3D printing errors. But the th thing I directly noticed, they, I think, really want to use the, um, just like the word of those people playing the game. 
those the work of the people who are playing this game to uh, use this as training data for the AI. Yeah, well, one hundred percent. I mean, would I? I guess so. So this isn't anything new, and we 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 quickly yeah. touched on this before we started recording here, but. This is something that, of course, Google has been doing with uh, ReCAPTCHA. Um, that is exactly that. Um, Google has also done QuickDraw uh, a couple of years ago, where it's a, it's it's more game than Quinley Vision 3D Printle. Um, so basically, you, you you sketch something out with your mouse, and the, the the neural network tries to guess what you're trying to do, and and by doing that, you're also training it. Um, where was it going with this? Yes, so that that's that's nothing new. And recapture actually, you can you can mess up a recapture quite badly, and it's still going to accept it as as valid, mm. um, because the, the the AI itself isn't sure about what it's seeing either, or the, the neural network behind that isn't sure about it, and it's mm. just taking your input to slowly learn. And if you if you're like close to what it thinks it, it's is correct, then yeah, it's still going to let you pass. With something on a smaller scale, like the Quinley Vision 3D Printle. Um, I would be worried about malicious users actually intentionally <laughs> misclassifying stuff um, because that can mess up your data set quite badly and you're going to have to sift through all of those classifications made by folks manually again. Um, but um, I think this is one of the reasons why they are requiring signing up for that game because uh, if there is one person who misclassifies everything they can just throw well this person's uh, training data out right um the interesting thing is that we talked kind of exactly about that two podcasts episodes ago or something like that where we talked about an an idea to use ai to identify 3d printing problems on a final part where we said, okay, this could be done, but you need to train that artificial intelligence in a way. So you need a lot of pictures of failed parts and then really people yeah. marking areas on the parts and saying, okay, this is a layer shift. This is, I don't know, a loose X axis. This is under extrusion. Um, 3D Printle is using an AI approach to find errors during the printing process but also for them for uh, training the AI in the first place they need training data and yep. um, I even though it's sneaky and they're not not saying explicitly on, on the website at least what, what I have found that they will be using or their their main purpose for that is using that for for training data for their for their AI I'm like 100% sure that this is the primary reason why they're making yeah. that. And in some way, I'm not really blaming them for them nah, because I think it's a good idea. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so of course, we, we've seen the, the sort of machine vision um, print failure detection, of course, spaghetti detective. Spaghetti detective, um, the, yeah. The, the, the big guys there. Um, but I, I, there, there are others too that do this sort of monitoring. Um yep. I the, the the name escapes me escapes me eludes me, I I I can't remember the names right now. But but I yeah. think there's like at least two others that that do that mm. same sort of like real time tracking and and print abortion if stuff goes wrong. Mm. Um, but like you said, you need you need training data. So everyone who's already in the game um, is going to have a head start because all the prints that people 
do through those systems, those are also mm. going to be input as more training data. Mm. Um, so the, the longer you've been around, the better you are. Yeah. Okay. And in order to train an AI, you need a ton of data. What Google did, and I, I'm not sure. I I don't know if they actually came up with reCAPTCHA or they bought reCAPTCHA at them. some point. They bought them. This was one of, I think, the greatest ideas ever because I don't know how many million hours every day were spent on, in the beginning, just trying to interpret text, which was scanned from a book. And they have been using that to make, to make it possible for AI to perfectly read even the brokenest of texts. And, um, having this free work or getting this free work with a game. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, if, if many will do that. I have not signed up yet to the service to try it out if it even works and, and how fun the game is yeah. in the end. Um, uh, and if it's the world of 3D printing. But I mean, yeah. no, the, so, so calling it the world of 3D printing is, uh, Sorry, but that's 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 BS. That's yeah. <laughs> I, I've I've played like three rounds of Wordle. Um, that, that, that's nothing like it. There's no yeah. there's no combination, no no guessing, no no thinking involved with the, mm -hmm. um, with what they what are they calling three D printle. Uh, it's mm -hmm. yeah, Wordle used to be popular. Yeah. Everyone knows it. So like yeah, Basically. I've never played it. Uh, yeah. <sighs> Like I said, I played like three rounds of it and then I was sick of it and, and just muted the word on Twitter. So <laughs> I, I don't know if it's still around, but it doesn't exist in my world anymore. Uh, I guess it's not that, that, that popular anymore. <sighs> yeah. So that's it. Um, shall we answer the last question? Yes, let's do that. I keep stretching my shoulder. Um, yeah, no worries. A quick one. So, uh, Royan is asking, um, considering a failed thermistor on the Revo, basically why we are still using thermistors on our hot ends and why we are no, not using thermocouples because they are more reliable and they are more precise. Because it's good enough. Yeah, Tom says it's good enough. Um, a thermistor, which is just a resistor that changes its resistance over a temperature range can be read out quite easily with just a normal microcontroller and no really additional active components. Um, a thermocouple already uh, requires an, um, an op amp. Op, op, op amp. Yeah, well, or an, an amplifier. It's, an amplifier. It's, yeah. Uh, it's it's usually like high high sensitivity uh, amplifiers basically because of the voltage generate or the voltage difference generated is relatively small yeah. um so you need like low noise amplifiers and those those parts aren't that expensive like the 711 um but it's it's an extra component and the thing is yeah um uh thermistors work well enough but also they work on literally every single machine that's out there except yeah. maybe an ultimaker um <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, or machines, proprietary machines that are built with that. But every like open machine um, has thermistor circuitry on there. So the choice of of using a thermistor in Revo, where there is right now one single heater core, well, two yeah. single heater cores. There is that special one for the uh, Creality machines with a different thermistor in there. 
Um, but it's, there is yes yes so does it have it has okay. it has I a different um, the, okay. the Creality one has a different thermistor that is like plug and play compatible with Creality okay. machines. Oh, that's cool. Um, the standard Revo is plug and play compatible with every machine that expects a V6. Um, but yeah, because there is only those two, <laughs> two now, uh, those two cores. Like I, I guess adding more variants to them, especially that right mm. now at the start for launch. Um, yeah. Is is not something they wanted to do. Maybe mm. eventually down the road there might be a high temperature version of the um, Revo Hero Core that mm. has a thermocouple in there. But yeah, I mean, we we we've already seen how bare bones the Revo ecosystem is with you know four nozzles, one heater, two heater cores, <laughs> at least at launch, um, and the, the the couple heat sinks that they have. It's not something that that they've like flared out as much yet. So mm. maybe it's going to be there, but the obvious choice for launch, especially, um, mm. is using a thermistor. And yeah, it's good because enough. it also works um, up to two hundred fifty degrees Celsius, totally uh, very reliably three hundred degrees okay. Celsius. Even that is, is is not a problem at all. I think they are ready um, for three hundred officially. Yeah. Um, and currently we are only seeing thermocouples on machines or on hot ends, which, yeah, can be used up to higher temperatures, which are used for printing, I don't know, PI, P, something like that. But since it is so simple, uh, I guess that's in the end one of the, the reasons why it is so commonly used. Yeah. So is it is it maybe a bit of a chicken and egg problem that we're not we're not getting we're not having uh, hot ends that can print that hot, so we're not getting materials that need to be printed mm. that hot, so we don't have any demand for hot ends that mm. that, that entire thing. <laughs> is there even a material that like isn't crazy expensive like uh, PI PEK um, that group that would make sense to be printed in a three D printer? I mean, metals you can't really print; they just get runny. Uh, we're brittle mm. uh, so um that that dream sorry is, is probably not going to happen but polymer wise i don't know maybe, maybe printing like glass like actual glass that that could be <laughs> something but yeah i don't know if there's I think even a need for a high yeah i i don't well maybe there is a need because there are Especially i think plenty yes. of Plenty of applications where you would need, for example, higher temperature resistance. I think in the end, this is also a chicken and egg problem. Um, or this is a problem of economy of scale. If there aren't a lot of printers around that can print high temperature materials that need to be printed at these higher temperatures, there isn't a lot of demand. So it's not manufactured that much. So yeah. it is expensive. I'm quite sure if, if, Peak would be the 3D printing material that everyone is using. Um, a kilo wouldn't cost 500 bucks, but you would be easily able to get it for 100 bucks or something like that. Okay, yeah. Well, I, I, I was thinking we're going to go for like, uh, yeah, we're 20 bucks of a kilogram, no problem. Nah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's still going to be an expensive material. Um, yeah, of course. And yeah. Yeah. It's still going to be an expensive material. So... <laughs> I don't know. Do you, you there might be there might be a thermocouple version of Revo at some point. Um there might be a high temperature one. Um maybe once Obsidian is out. Um 
Do, do you know that should be temperature resistant, right? Um, I think it's copper that's coated with diamond-like carbon. I don't know a lot of different coatings to make it wear resistant. So it if, should be capable of handling here's, these high here's temperatures. Here's the problem. I, I I don't know what information I'm thinking about right now is like NDA and what isn't. <laughs> um, okay, but yeah. So obsidian technically is going to be high temperature uh, material. So like, yeah, it's uh, that that would be. I guess that would be the time to release a, a high temperature version. Yeah. So I I don't have any information on on obsidian yet. I know it only from I don't know the things that they talked about at 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 Form Next. But I'm really hoping that it's it's going to release at some point because I I think the Rio ecosystem is still missing that. And yeah, maybe at that point also we, we get a higher temperature heater core. We will see. We will see the question. Maybe last point right here. So you, you did the analysis, um, of the, uh, PTC, PCT, PTC positive temperature coefficient, PCT, uh, PTC heating element of the Revo. Right. Yeah. The problem might be of course you're hmm, you're s- still got to 450 degrees celsius 480. but for 80 but uh the ptc element is having a P-P-T-C. lower uh, pt ptc element is having a lower power output at higher temperatures if they would even need to change like the heating element that they're using to easier oh, quite, get to these quite, higher temperatures quite possibly yeah yeah yeah, if you compare, if you combine it with a uh, with a thermal couple, I, I'm very sure that either they they'd reduce the PTC effect um, of the material, mm. or they just put a, a higher power one in there. Yeah, shouldn't be that hard. Um, so what it, what I was trying to find out here with um, with obsidian is whether there is a like a pressed in uh, slug in there. I don't think so. Because there are images of the old obsidian that look like they have some sort of a slug. Okay. Um, but I don't know if the new one still does. Uh, Josh explains. Uh, I'm really missing. Ah, yeah. I see what you mean. It looks as if there's something pressed in, but the whole nozzle bit seems to be yeah. I don't know we'll see I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting more details on these yeah because that's that's supposed to be the end all nozzle essentially I hope I hope I hope it performs well I, I think if they're using a, a well thermally conductive material as a base material and I think think i heard it is i don't know don't quote me on that um, i'm copper um i think it gets around the downsides of the nozzle x which is using steel for that so we'll see we'll see we will see yeah one way or another <laughs> and one way or another uh i think we are done for today 
we skipped over one topic but that's something for the next one so get subscribed on all the platforms where you can subscribe uh of course if you're if you're watching on youtube if you just want the audio version you can listen to us too on any podcasting platform if you're listening and you would like to see stefan's beautiful face then uh you can do that on youtube uh the melt zone channel is available there with a full video capture of us recording this episode what else if you want to support our channels you can do so through patreon or youtube memberships on the main channels um links are in the description below also links to all the stuff we talked about are in the description or the podcast show notes uh in your player as well thank you all for watching and listening thank you stefan for the time thank you for yours See you in the next one. See you then. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.